Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doing the Rounds podcast with me, Josh Faulkner. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. What a chat we had last week with superstar Mal Sanders. Thank you to all those that reached out with words of praise. It's very much appreciated. This week, we chat with another great British professional wrestler, none other than Mr. Smooth, Johnny Kidd. I've known Johnny for a good few years now. In fact, last year at the Dover Town Hall, I got to wrestle him for the first time. I've always respected John's talents as a wrestler, but being in there with him was something else. I chat with John about his beginnings, the 24 televised appearances he made on World of Sport, and most recently, the matches he had overseas, bringing the British style to America. Before we get into it, this podcast comes to you every Monday on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you have a second, please rate, review, and subscribe. Also, tell a friend. Let them know what we're doing over here. I'd love for the stories of my guests to go far and wide. If you want to get in touch, you can find me on the social media. On Facebook, it's Josh Faulkner Comedy. On the Twitter, it's at Josh T. Faulkner. And Instagram, at the Josh Faulkner. So, without further ado, sit back and enjoy as Johnny Kidd does the rounds with Josh Faulkner. John, how are you? I'm fine, Josh. Good afternoon. Thank you very much for your your time this afternoon, John. I do appreciate it. No problems at all. How I tend to start these, John, is what's your first memory of wrestling? Or uh, many, many years ago now, I was was probably like a lot of people. I used to watch it on television and I used to think to myself, I wonder how I could get involved with that. Because I was a punter, mid-70s, I suppose. I'd go to my local venues around here. What were your local venues? well, I passed my driving test in 1974, so I was able to get a bow. But previous to that, I did go to London a couple of times to see shows by train, you know, and I used to stay at my auntie's. I, I was born in Balham in London. Yes. And my auntie lived there. And occasionally I'd go down to Brent Town Hall on a Monday night and I go by train and I used to go back to Balham, stay there and go back home the next day, obviously taking a couple of days off work. So it wasn't too bad in those days. I couldn't do it later on, obviously. And the same with the Royal Albert Hall when I used to go and see shows there. I think one of my first television uh, tournaments that I saw was at Brent Town Hall in Wembley. I always remember it because it was a Monday night five-match programme. And one of the guys on there was Mel Stewart. And Mel Stewart, was that was probably his first television appearance, actually. And I remember talking to him about it before or after then, you know, when I met him. And he remembered it. He remembered his opponent, etc. Anyway, I, I thought then after that, after being a punter, living in Luton, visiting halls like Dunstable, Welling Garden City, Hemel Hempstead, Aylesbury at the time occasionally, um, they were good halls. You know, Dunstable for me was the main hall because it was a regular programme that uh, Dale Martin used to put on there. And I used to attend that quite a lot. And I thought to myself after that, I wonder how easy it would be to do this because I quite liked it and followed it on the television on the Saturday afternoon at four o'clock. But it wasn't easy, Josh, in them days. So I wrote away for a list of amateur wrestling clubs in the area. Yes. Um, we've got a list back of 20 so clubs. And the nearest one was about seven or eight miles from here in a place called Amptill in Bedfordshire. For those listening, John, I, yeah. I know you've been based in Luton in Bedfordshire for, yeah. for the last little while now. Have you always been living in Luton? Well, like I said to you, I was born in Balham in London. And when my parents um, moved up here, obviously, I was an early age. I came with them, didn't I? So I've always lived in Luton. Um, Yeah, always here, as I say. But 
I was born in, in Ballam in southwest London. And believe it or not, two other World of Sport wrestlers were both born in the same hospital that I was oh, in. Really? Road in. Yeah, and that was Mel Superstar Sanders. And an upcoming guest? Lee Bronson. They were both, that's our claim to fame, if anyone ever does these quizzes. <laughs> the three of us were born in Weir Road Hospital in Ballam, which is no longer there, but all three of us yeah. are there. Lee Bronson actually still lives in Ballam. I've never met Lee. He, so, he's a name uh, that he get, it's a name that gets thrown around. I've seen I've seen his work on on YouTube and traveling with Steve Gray and, and Mal Sanders over the years. They often bring up stories of Lee, but I, I've yeah. never met him. Well, Lee actually Lee lived um, in Ballam. He still does, and he's uh, my grandmother lived next door to him. She used to live at number twenty eight. He lives at number thirty. I won't mention the road, but that's where. They <laughs> And my grandmother and my mother actually often saw Lee, a very young boy, in the garden on a, a bed mattress, I suppose, at the time, um, being thrown around by his father. And his father was none other than Norman the Butcher, who was a famous wrestler from years and years ago. Wow. And Norman, uh, obviously, brought Lee into the game like that. And, um, yeah, Lee, Lee lived there, and I say he still does, and he was very good wrestler Lee you know I knew him well actually I didn't know him because when I was just about coming into the game he was just about you know going out so, uh, so I didn't see him that often but I've had contact with him since and we often speak when we meet but getting back to um, me I, I you know I wrote away for this list of clubs and um, it came back that I went over to Amateur and there was an amateur wrestling coach there and I thought to myself well this is it you know but it was completely different to what I thought I thought being an amateur wrestler was like you see on television, that stuff, but you're just an amateur. Not realising that amateur wrestling and professional wrestling are two different things. Yes. As I say, you would never, you know, you'd never sort of um, confuse an amateur wrestler with a pro wrestler. And when you, you'd never ask an amateur wrestler what he thought of the pro wrestlers at the time because they didn't want to know that. They, their sport was completely different, as you know. Um, Absolutely. So I was lucky there. I started uh, out there and I was there. I started there in 1974 before I managed to get the first pro belt, which was in 1978. Going yeah. back to uh, going to watch the shows as a punter, John, you mentioned Dunstable. And um, what was the hall yeah. that you would go and watch the shows? Was it the Ledger Centre or was it the theatre? Or No, none of those. The, the famous hall there at the time or back in the day was called the Queensway Hall. It's no longer there. It's, it, the building is uh, now an Asda supermarket. But um, they used to have wrestling there a lot. They televised many shows from there. And I saw two, at least, television um, shows recorded at uh, the Queensway Hall Dunstable. But as I say, it came down oh, a few years ago now. I actually did wrestle there myself um, for Dale Martins and probably for All-Star Brian Dixon when he went in a couple of times. Yes. But um, it's long gone there now. Uh, so you mentioned one of the names that you remember seeing at the Brent Town Hall was Mel Stewart. Are there any other names that you remember going to see that you were a fan of when you were a punter? Well, I, I can't really tell you what my... I think my first actual show that I saw was actually in Luton. Believe it or not, it was a Saturday night and it was at Luton Town Football Club. Can't tell you the year, but I guess it was round about 72, 73. Um, right. And all I remember, they built the ring into the stand. It was a funny setup. And I remember going there on Saturday. Luton Town had actually played at home that Saturday afternoon. So they obviously cleared the game after the game. The ring must have gone in there. They set it up. And we were sitting in the seats that the football spectators sit in. Yes. And uh, I can't remember the complete bill, but I do know I, 
I'm pretty certain Steve Gray was on there. And I think Robbie Barron was on there. And I definitely know Les Kellett and Adrian Street was the main event. So I do remember seeing that. But again, before my time, there was another hall in Dunstable. I say hall, it was at the bottom of, really, at Whipsnay by the Dunstable Downs there. It was called the California Ballroom. Right. And they used to do a lot of wrestling in there, but that was well before my time. I'm talking then probably late 60s, early 70s, before um, the Queensway Hall at Dunstable took But, um, yeah, that was my first actual live show that I remember. I say some of these historians... Uh, that are interesting will probably know of that uh, that first show that I saw, and I definitely know it was a Saturday night, Saturday night in Luton at the football ground. I see. So you mentioned you went to your first training session in Ampthill. It was an amateur wrestling club. And when you've yeah. gone to your first amateur wrestling training session, was it always with the mind of transferring into the professional ranks, or did amateur wrestling take a hold on you? You wanted to go somewhere with that. No, I think what happened was, Josh, when I went there, I was uh, under the impression it was going to be, like I say, what you saw on television and they were going to sort of like train us up and do things like that. But it was completely different. But at the end of each session, it wasn't a long, maybe an hour and a half session. They used to just train and pull around amateur wrestling style. There was two lads there that uh, did do a little bit of professional stuff. And at the end, they used to just go into a little sequence. There was no ring, obviously. It was all map-based. Yes. They made out those ropes and they did a bit of a crisscross and one of them did a double leg Nelson on the other one. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's it. That's what I wanted to do. But that was, you know, a long time coming after that. Mainly these amateur um, training sessions were mainly for amateur wrestling because the guy was an amateur wrestling coach. Yes. But saying that, eventually we did build our own little ring and we used to put shows on in sort of like hospitals and working men's clubs. And that would have been early 75 then. So that was all professionally sort of done, but it, on a very, you know, poor basis, if you know what I mean. Uh, we weren't that great at anything and we used to just put these little shows on and the amateur coach used to MC or referee it for, for us. Um, and then we got involved with another club in Northamptonshire. And we used to train up there. And that's how I first came to meet uh, Blondie Barrett, the Rock and Roll Express. We met in 1975 because he was training up in Northamptonshire area. Right. And that's how we came to meet and um, further progressed from there, really. So you mentioned your first professional match was in 1978. How did the opportunity for that come about for you? Well, I was working at the time. I was working at Sainsbury's, the food store at the time. I was living opposite parents' home. Um, I would have been about 22 then, I think. And I remember thinking, there must be a way of getting into this wrestling somehow. And when I went to Aylesbury once, I saw the MC of the evening show, and that was a guy called Fred Downs. And I said to Fred, how do I, uh, is there any way of getting into this? And he said, well, if you write or send some photos to the office at Dale Martins in Brixton Road. And I did that, but never got no reply back from any of that. Um, and then I looked at the time and I was at work one evening and I looked through a telephone book because in then, those days, a lot of people were not ex-directory. Their names and addresses and phone numbers would be in phone books. And right. I knew that based in Northamptonshire, in Rostrum in Northamptonshire, was a wrestler and a promoter called Ken Joyce. Yes. Well, I looked for Ken's name and I found it and I thought, well, this must be it. Ken Joyce gave me the name where uh, the road telephone number. So I rang him up on the off chance, hoping it was him. And it was. And I spoke to him and I told him who I was and what I'd done. And he said, well, give us your name and telephone number. And if anything ever comes up, I'll contact you. And I left it like that. And it was probably a good nine to 10 months later 
that I got a call one night. I didn't take the call. Someone took it for me. When I got home, my parents said there was a call for you from a, a Ken Joyce. Can you ring him back? Okay. Well, this would have been the Wednesday of that week. And I rang him back and he said, um, hello. He said, uh, if there's any way that you could get to South London, South Wimbledon Tube Station on Saturday this week, I'll take you down to my show at Salisbury and put you on my show. And I thought, oh, yeah, great. So I'll do that. So obviously I went down to London, uh, again, living in Balham, my, or my auntie living in Balham. She took me to South Wimbledon Tube Station yes. and she turned up. And we went down in his car and I wrestled at Salisbury that evening, which was the 21st of October, 1978. Um, and then he brought me back after that, dropped me at South Wimbledon. My auntie picked me up. I stayed the night and went home the next day. I remember coming out of the hall that night with Ken Joyce and walking back to the car. And Ken said to me, um, just to let you know, he said, Max Crabtree, who has given you a couple of jobs next month. Now, at the time, Max Crabtree had just about taken over the southern part of uh, joint promotions. He was running the northern part of joint, but not the southern. I believe Mike Marino was running that. But I never did a job when Mike was in charge, if you know what I mean. So Max had taken over. And Ken, being a promoter, used to get a big sheet. And on this sheet would tell him all the wrestlers' names, where they were working, who they were working, you know, what dates, etc. Yes. So he had a master copy because he was a promoter and he had to pick a men he wanted after joint promotions, picked who they wanted for the month. So Ken said, he's given you a couple of dates here. One of them looks like it's at uh, Hanley and one at Digbeth, which both are in the uh, Midlands. Obviously, Hanley's Stoke-on-Trent. Yes. And Digbeth was Birmingham. And one was going to be on the, I believe, something like the 11th of November the following month and uh, it was I got these two jobs I went up there so I did my first job for it would have been best writing promotions who were part of joint promotions at the time I was on with a guy called Black Jack Mulligan and was uh, he the same Black Jack Mulligan that would go on to work in America no no completely different this Black Jack Mulligan was a um, Newcastle uh, based guy whether he still lived in Newcastle I don't know um, but Black Jack, I wrestled him that night. And then on the Thursday, the following week, I wrestled at Digbeth, which is Birmingham. Yes. Um, I was on with a guy called Derek Collins there. I should have been on with Sid Cooper, of all people, because I travelled up with Sid in the car. He picked me up at the service station on the M1. But the bill again was changed round. Sid ended up going in a Big Daddy tag, I think, and I was on with Derek Collins. So that was, you know, my two um, appearances there for Best Writing. And at the time, though, Hanley and Digbeth were running every week. So every Saturday, Hanley was on and every Thursday, Digbeth was on. So obviously, we got back there quite a few times. But they were my first two in the north. And then I got another sub job down south. And then it went on from there. So, But I never actually met Max Crabtree until six months after I started. I did a job in Bristol. in um, uh, Colston Hall? Yeah, Colston Hall. And that was my first appearance at Bristol and the first time I met Max Crabtree because Max then at the time didn't go to all the shows. I know he did later on when Shirley was around Big Daddy. Yes. But Max would only attend certain shows. Bristol and what was it like for you, John? What was it like for you, John, to meet Max Crabtree for the first time? Well, obviously I'd heard of him. I'd never seen him. I knew of Shirley and that, and I knew that Max had taken over. Um, but obviously... I sort of, when I was there, they said Max Crabtree will be there. So I said to him who I was, because he probably 
I don't even know if he knew who I was, you know, um, whether he would have known who he was looking for. He knew the wrestling name. He gave, gave me the wrestling name of Johnny Kidd. I didn't choose that myself. He gave that to me. Um, and then when I saw him, I introduced myself and he said, oh, yes, uh, pleased to meet you. And I'm going to watch you tonight and see what you do. Whether he did or not, I don't know. I was on with Jeff Kay, who went on later to be a referee. Yes. And um, it was fine. And after that, it seemed to be another job came in, then another job. Bearing in mind, Josh, I was always um, a full-time, I had a full-time job. I was only ever a part-time. I was never full-time. I was never out of work. And those words, Ken Joyce said to me when I first knew him, he said, whatever you do, don't give your, don't give your job up for wrestling, you know. And I didn't ever have to. I could fit the two in. I always kept my job and I always um, wrestled in the evenings. But it was a lot easier then to travel around and do that. Very sensible advice that you got there, John, because doing your day job, going off to do the bills in the evening, what's some of the places that you'd find yourself traveling to, That some of the places you'd find yourself appearing in the ring that evening? Well, it's funny because people used to say to me, um, where are you going tonight? And I'd say, oh, I'm going to the Isle of Wight. And they'd say, you what? Oh, the Isle of Wight after work. And I said, yeah. And they said, you must be mad. And I said, well, yeah. you know, when you were in this game and all we wanted to do was wrestle at the time, you would go these places. But it was a lot easier then. I could leave work at half past four, yep. drive down to Portsmouth, leave my car at Portsmouth, you know, without paying for anything, getting on the, the passenger ferry, going across there the other side, wrestling the second half of the show at the Ride Town Hall, which was yep. where the ferry came in getting back on the ferry after coming home and getting back in bed and then going to work the next day. But you could do it then, Josh, because the traffic on the roads was nothing like it is today. The roads are the same, but the traffic is worse, as you know. You do in this job, you know what it's like. In our day, we never thought about it. We just got in the car. We could go anywhere, really. Did you have a regular... So when you was uh, when you wasn't travelling on your own, as in driving to places like Portsmouth and leaving your car there, did you yeah. find yourself sharing a car with certain wrestlers on a regular basis? Well, when I started, obviously, I did a lot of travelling with the Rock and Roll Express, Blondie Barrett. Um, yeah. In the early days when we got together, Bob hadn't passed his driving test. So his partner or wife used to bring him down and I used to take him home especially weekends um, and then when Bob did drive we sometimes shared the driving but we did a lot of traveling together we we were involved in a lot of the matches when we started obviously it was a new sort of match so Max Crabtree used to put us on together quite a lot you know and a lot of people will say oh not those two again but yeah we did wrestle each other many many times and you know people say well did you ever get fed up with it I said no because we knew each other we, we never had problems and um, the matches, we could just go in there and, and do it. And that was fine, you know. And so, yeah, we traveled a lot and it was it was good for us to travel together. Um, and again, in those days, you could make your own way to a lot of venues if you wanted to. Um, yes. It was not getting there as early as some of the lads have to get to these places today. We used to get there, um, be told when we we're on, do the match, change, showered after, get paid and go home. And that's how it was. So, John, you made 24 appearances on ITV's World of Sport. When was your first televised appearance? Uh, the first televised appearance was 1981, April 81, um, at Guildford, the Civic Hall of Guildford. Right. I had asked, uh, well, Max Crabtree did say to me, I'll put you on, I'll put you on. He kept saying that, and he never did. I got a couple of what we called standby matches where you went to a televised show, you was the standby in case somebody didn't turn up. Right, and then we put you on. But I, I did a couple of those, but obviously everyone was there. I never did have to go on. 
But the first time I actually did go on was April 81 at Guildford. I was on with Jimmy Brakes, of all people. Um, so that was quite an experience. And then after that, between 81 and the very last World of Sport uh, televised show in 88, I was on that one as well. So in seven years, I did 24. So that's not bad for a, a part-time wrestler. And that's all I ever was, really, a part-time wrestler. So, but I did, I was lucky because my first three were good opponents. I always remember them, you know, Johnny Saint was the second one and Mick McManus, obviously, was the hero to me of wrestling. I yes. wrestled him uh, on my third television appearance. So after the first televised match that you were involved with went out with, with Jimmy Brakes, what yeah. reaction did you get? Was you, was you noticed in the street? Did, did you have people coming up to you? I don't think so. I think, you know, I've only ever been recognised once that I can say of when I was somewhere. And believe it or not, it was down in Cornwall. I was inside and I was coming out of the shop. Um, The girl I was with at the time was in the shop. I came out and waited outside. And this gentleman said to me, hello, what are you doing here? And I looked at him and I thought, oh, I don't know you. (laughs) Yeah. And he said, I saw you wrestling last week. And I said, where? He said, at Harlow. And I said, well, yeah, I was there. It was a carnival. I said, was you there? Obviously, he was. And he said, yes. He said, I'm on holiday down here. I said, so am I. And that was the only time someone has actually um, spoken to me like that about wrestling uh, in the street. The, when you went to the halls, Josh, yes, people would recognise you there. Yes. You know, because they used to know the wrestlers. They used to follow certain people, attended certain shows. And, yeah, you were known there. But luckily, no, nobody's ever really picked up on it and the street and said, oh, I know you, you're so-and-so. So not for me anyway. Probably has to others, you know, and I should say other characters. Obviously, Giant Haystacks and Big Daddy would walk down the street. People would automatically look at them because of the size of them or they recognise them. Yes. You know? So, yeah. One of the nicknames you've had that seems to have stuck with you for, for quite some time, John, is the name Mr. Smooth. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I've got the feeling Brian Dixon gave me that name um, because it wouldn't have come from Max. Max would never have said anything like that to me, I don't think. I think Brian Dixon just uh, gave me that and it, it, it stuck from there, really. You know, um, so, yeah, I credit Brian. So you mentioned meeting uh, Max Crabtree for the first time, yeah. your first job for Max being at the Victoria Hall in Hanley. On the other hand, there was Brian Dixon. Do you remember meeting Brian for the first time and your first job for Brian? No, I can't remember meeting Brian Dixon. I do remember at the time, though, um, Blondie rang me up one day and he said to me, could you possibly do a a job for us on Saturday at Rushton in Northamptonshire for Brian? And I said, oh, I don't know, because at the time you either worked for joint promotions or you worked for what was then the opposition, which was Brian Dixon. And they didn't like the idea of you working for both. So I thought, oh, yeah, OK. So I did it. And I, I went up to Russian and I did this job. Brian wasn't there, but I did this job. And then I do remember the following week, I had to ring Max Crabtree or the office in Leeds for something about an arrangement or something. And Max spoke to me and he said, you've got to realise it's got to be either them or us. He didn't like the idea of then at the time, wrestlers working for two different companies. You yeah, know, um, I got a bit of a, you know, he had a word. That's all it was, a word. And then eventually after that, as you know, people started working for both. You know, you've got quite a few of the top stars that would work for both in the end. And in the end, it didn't really matter. But I always remember that. But no, 
I think one of my first big jobs with Ryan Dixon, when I said I would do something for him, he put me on at Croydon, and I was on uh, in a championship match with, again, Jimmy Brakes. So that's one I remember, but I can't honestly say that I remember meeting Ryan Dixon or when I met him for the first time, no. Right. So you've touched on a few of the names you'd find yourself working with, John. Yeah. Out of them all, and this might be a difficult one for you to answer, who did you most enjoy working with? Yeah, you're right. Very difficult there because... I did enjoy working with a few. Obviously, Blondie, I worked with so many times, so there was never a problem there if I knew we were on together. Sometimes we, we knew we were on together. Sometimes we didn't, you know. Um, but, yeah, with Bob, there was never a problem there. I like the matches I had with Johnny Saint, obviously, because um, wrestling John was always something that was enjoyable because of what he did. And, and he was a master at that game, you know, for that technical style that I did enjoy yes. as well. Um, Steve Gray, another one, he's in that style. Sid Cooper, Mel Sanders, um, they were all good for me. Jimmy Brakes, um, yeah, a lot of them, a lot of those sort of weights. We used to keep to our own sort of weight at that time. My biggest regret really was probably wrestling. There was three guys I would have liked to have wrestled and I never got the chance. One of them was um, Terry Rudge. Yes. Um, Terry being a heavyweight, I mean, Terry was very, very well respected in wrestling and, and he could do this job. And I never got the chance to wrestle Terry. Um, another one would have been the original Steve Logan, the Iron Man from Brixton. Again, really nice guy. I met him a couple of times before he, he finished the game and moved away. I never got a chance to wrestle Steve, but everyone that speaks well of Steve, I would like to have done that. And obviously going up another weight, Mike Marino, but there would never have been a chance to wrestle Mike with him being a mid-heavyweight and me at the time only being like a, a middleweight or a lightweight, as they called us, you know. Um, but I did do some tag matches with Marino, and I did like Mike. And as I say, it's um, he was someone it would have been great to have gone on with. But in those days, they tend to keep the mid-heavies and the heavies to themselves, you know, and, and pair them up rather than putting someone like him on with me. No, that's that's understandable. So you you touched on working with Johnny Saint and saying your styles yeah. are very similar. The style that you do, John, you're renowned for being one of the very best technical wrestlers in the world. How how did that style come to you? Was it something you were actively pursuing, or did it find you naturally? No, I wouldn't say I was one of the best in the world. I mean, I enjoy doing that style because there's so many good guys that can do that style. And Sainty to me, or Johnny Saint, Stevie Gray as well. I mean, they knew how to control matches, especially Steve. Steve would like feel a crowd out and, and he could sort of say to you, you know, he could move you around. Johnny Saint would move you around as well. And um, we always got the best, you know, always got the best out of them when I used to wrestle them and they didn't. Then. I enjoyed those matches. Um, I think with Ken bringing me in into wrestling, I, I wrestled Ken a lot as well, obviously, in the early days. Ken had a set style, and it was enjoyable to wrestle Ken. And usually they were just a wrestling match. So we would find ourselves on a card maybe as the wrestling match, where the other matches would be like um, Hero and Villain, you know, or a tag match or something like that. Um, so it was just my style, I think. I just started like that, and that's how it was. So I always carried on with that way. And, um, yeah, that's how it was, Josh. Oh, absolutely. So you, we touched on you made 24 appearances on World of Sport between your first televised appearance in 1981 and when World of Sport Wrestling's coverage was taken off the air in 1988. When British wrestling stopped being televised, where did your career go in the years that followed that? Um, well, obviously, 
it came off in 88, but I still carried on for a little bit longer uh, after that. I mean, um, the matches, the shows were still going on without the television. Um, yes. Fortunate, but that's how it was. Um, I did a lot of these matches with Big Daddy, as you know. He always had a partner, a smaller partner with him. I didn't yes. start with him, obviously. I mean, he had his regular men in the north in the Midlands when I first started. Jackie Turpin was the regular partner. Danny Collins did it yes. up north, so did uh, down south again that Stevie Gray would have done it. Then sometimes he had a heavier man with him. I've seen him tag with Pete Roberts. I've seen him tag with Tony Sinclair, people like that. And I did a few with him. Um, I don't know. We just carried on. The wrestling still carried on. It was good. But as you know, it probably it took a dive a bit in the 90s. It sort of lost its way a bit then. And a lot of the water sport guys were either retiring, finishing, there was nobody coming up really after that to, to sort of replace them on that, that style of wrestling that we did, the oldest style, you know. Um, but saying that, I mean, I know now that there is a lot of wrestling about and a lot of promotions are, are doing shows all over the country here in England. Yes. And I've seen some. The style is completely different, I know, to what we did. But that's how things are. You know, everything moves forward. And that is what people are watching these days. And to be honest with you, the style we did now, if we, that was to come back, complete show like that, I don't think people would be interested in watching that. They want to see this high-flying and exciting sort of like stuff, you know. Whereas in our day, we could get away with putting a wrist lock and a headlock on for five minutes. And then when you escape from those things, great, the crowd would love it. But the audiences are different today. Um, the show's geared up for a different type of audience. You wouldn't get, you know, so many older people watching the shows you know like your mum and dad my mum and dad grandparents you know it's, it's geared up mainly for a younger audience it's it's funny you mentioned the audience john because going moving more forward towards today you've appeared mm -hmm. for the promoters that target their shows at the internet audience how do you feel doing those type of shows as opposed to wrestling in front of more the family audience how do you feel your style fits there well it's funny because a couple of these promoters, they rung me up, uh, one guy did, um, and they said to me, would you like to do a show for us? And I said, I'll be honest with you, I don't think my style of wrestling is what your audience would want to see. And the promoter said, no, no, they, they do. They would like to see something like that. It's something different to what we put on each time. Um, the promotion was Progress Wrestling. And um, John Briley, I think his name was, he he said to me, we're going to put you on with Jack Gallagher. Well, I know Jack. Jack was into this sort of world of sports style and British style. Yes. And believe it or not, we wrestled at um, in Camden, Camden Town. Uh, and there were 700 people in there. And I thought, oh, I don't know if they're going to take this. But they did. They loved it. You know, it was surprising. We just did our normal stuff. Or That was the first time I'd wrestled Jack, believe it or not. And it, it got over quite well. So it just shows there is a market for that sort of stuff if you're on with the right sort of people. So I've done one there, um, and I've done a couple of others. I, I was lucky enough um, to meet um, an independent uh, promoter from America called Mike Quackenbush, who runs Shikara. And That's right. That was where I was going next with you, John, <laughs> because that was a... Uh... One of, the, one of the big things for you in the, in sort of the last little while, um, the opportunity came about for you to go and work in America. How did that opportunity present itself for you? Well, I, I first met Mike Quackenbush in 2004. Um, I'd done a job here in Wigan for a company 
can't think the name of them now. And I was on with a guy called Robbie Brookside, who you'd know. So yeah. I didn't see Robbie very often, but when we did, we always had some good matches, Robbie. It always got on well with Rob. And after I did that match, the, um, the promoter of this company in Germany was there. At this show, he brought a couple of guys over to do a tag match. Um, one of the guys was Claudio Castagnoli, who now wrestles as Antonio Cesaro, I believe, in the That's WWE. Correct. Yes. So he was over here and he did a tag and the promoter was with them. And he said to me afterwards, would you consider coming over to do a job for us in Germany? And I said, well, I don't know. And this company was WXW. So I'd heard of them and I thought, they do all the hardcore stuff. And I thought, I don't really want to be involved with that. So me being me and panicking a bit, I rung Brookside up and I said to him, Robbie, they've they've asked me to go over and do a job for them. What do you think? And he said, no, you'll be all right. I said, yeah, but they do all that hardcore stuff. So Brookside said, you won't do any of that. They'll put you on with somebody who doesn't do that. Don't worry. So I went for them. And I believe it or not, I was on with Castagnoli, Claudio. And they made him their champion. He just got a green card and he was going to go across to the States. So I was on with him and he loved that British style wrestling. And it was a complete British style match in Essen, in Germany, we did. And you couldn't have met a nicer bloke. And Claudio really has done well for himself. Well, Quackenbush won this and that's how we got talking. And we kept in touch ever since. And I went back to Germany on other occasions, once when Shikara was there. And Quackenbush was actually running the show for WXW with a Shikara-based team. So I saw him there, and then he actually wrestled Johnny Saint there one evening in Germany. And then I wrestled Mike there, and I've also wrestled uh, Johnny Saint there. But Quackenbush then came back to us, and he said, would you be interested in coming over to America and doing something for us? So when people say that, you think, you know, it's just a term, isn't it? You, know, you say, yeah, it never happened, but it did. And originally, he wanted us to come over for the King of Trios. He wanted three of us to come over to do this um, World of Sport team against other teams. And at the time, he wanted Johnny Saint and Steve Gray and myself. Well, either Steve or John was injured. And I can't think, I think it was probably Steve who was injured and couldn't go. So Quackenbush said, well, there's no point in bringing two of you over. I can't find another World of Sport guy. He tried to get Jimmy Brakes, but Jimmy was unavailable. He didn't want to do it. Right. There was no really get at the time. So he said, I'll, I'll bring you over another time. And he did. He took us over there in 2000. I think it was 2011. We eventually went over there. And he took me and Johnny Saint over there. And the first night we wrestled against each other to show them what the British style, technical style wrestling was about. And again, it was really good for us. It, I always remember it being a very hot evening there and we was really sweating there and we did the show and they really appreciated what we did. And the next night, we went over again. Uh, well, we were still there, obviously. We went to another venue and we did a tag with myself and Colt Cabana yes. against Michael Bush and Johnny Saint. And again, good reaction for us and uh, another good night. And then I, I flew home and John came home the next day. But that was really an experience. And I've always kept in touch with Mike. And Mike's come back over here to train. And I've been to see him. Um, I've wrestled him here in England twice as well now on two of his shows that he put on. And also, um, not that long ago, Mike does stuff for the WWE in the performance center down in Florida. He's been asked to go down there every so often. And he shows him their style, his style rather, what he can do. 
Um, obviously, he still has Shikari, his own company, which he'll hang on to. I don't think he'll ever want to leave them because he's built a good formula with those. Um, but yeah, it was a good opportunity for me. And as I say, to go over there, and believe it or not, only two years ago, they ran a comp- uh, well, they run a tournament in my name. They called it the Johnny Kid Invitational. And they had so many wrestlers in doing technical style wrestling. And Mike asked me if I'd go over and present the prize to the winner. So I flew out one day and flew back the next as quick as that. And James Mason was out with us. And obviously James was in the tournament. He didn't win it, but he worked a couple of their guys and it was good for him as well. So, yeah, so I've always been grateful to Mike because I say Mike did take me out there. And um, so we're still in touch at this time. Well, as you, as you know, with, with Johnny Saints, I mean, John was taken out there some time ago and he spent, I think he spent about six months out there, didn't he? Yes. A few years ago, um, they wanted him out there. And we first thought, I don't know what John thought, but the thought here was that maybe they were going to try and train an American wrestler up to work the Johnny Saints style. But it wasn't to be like that. John was just out there to show them how we do things here and tell a bit of a story with linking up and putting holds on and escaping holds. And they just thought it was something good to see. And I think either Robbie Brookside or Steve Regal had a hand in that to take him out there. And John has been invited back a couple of times. I don't know if he'll go back and stay as long because obviously I think he enjoyed his time there, but I don't know whether he would go for that amount of time again. But as you now know, I believe he's a general manager here for the NXT UK and he oversees the matches when they do their shows over here. So he's still involved with it, but um, I think he probably still would get in the ring and do a bit of training when he has time. Um, he's recovering, you know, from, I think he's had some sort of knee operation, um, but he's on the mend and he's up about again and he's still around now, John. So I haven't seen him myself, but I know he's, he's still involved with the um, WWE um as their general manager in this country yeah so you talk about the training of of wrestlers john and you've been mentioned you mentioned on here by sanjay last week and you're also mentioned in our pilot episode with phil powers as being such a useful tool for the younger wrestlers out there now if you had to pass on a bit of advice to the the younger wrestlers what would it be well, yes, I heard both your um, podcasts with first Phil Powers, and it was very interesting to listen to what Phil had to say. Obviously, Phil has been involved for a little while now. Um, I did wrestle him, and we did do some training in the early days, and then as he's gone through being a wrestler and a promoter, he's done a lot for himself. And Sanjay, obviously, I know well. Sanjay asked me to do his first um, one of his first jobs or a few years ago now, and I still help Sanjay out from time to time when he's uh, needing a worker if he's short um yes again um uh, i don't know i think I, I think most guys know what they want to do in this or a lot of them want to progress in this but sometimes it's not always that easy to to get forward and, and get more and more work because there's so many wrestlers about these days and so many promotions about um i think a lot of days when you talk to a lot of the guys today a lot of them their ambition is to be a wwe wrestler and, and do that um, but it's not easy just to do that because I spoke with Regal not long ago and he said he get they get so many applications for um, wrestlers that want to come over and get tryouts and things like that. And it's yeah. very difficult at the moment because they're looking at other countries, bringing other countries wrestlers in, you know, wrestlers from Russia and Japan and China, not always from the UK and the USA. They say that they're flooded with these guys at the moment. 
But anyone who gets a tryout and, and, and does well in it, then it's a case of it's a waiting game, really. I don't think they give you a yes or no straight away. Well, no, I mean, you know, I've known one guy that did get the try and, and they were quite impressed with him. And uh, he did a show over here in England. But I don't know if any more has come from that. I won't, so I won't mention the guy's name because there might be something in the pipeline. I don't know. Yeah. But um, it's very difficult. I mean, in our day, people used to say, well, how did you train and things like that? But we didn't. There was no training schools. There was none of this. We used to go to the shows myself and Blondie. We'd get to a hall. They'd say, you're on second. We'd get in the dressing room. We'd get changed. We'd get ready to go on. We'd do the show. There was We couldn't get in the ring. You'd never get in a wrestling ring in this country before the show started. The ring was put up. Obviously, the punters weren't in. But the lads never even dreamed of going in the ring because we learned as we went along, I think. That was the difference. We used to pick things up as we went along. We didn't really think, well, should we go in there and try this, try that? I think that's how it differs. The lads these days work a lot harder, obviously. They have to. They, they seem to have to do a lot to impress the people that, you know, come to see the game. Um, but as I say, for my advice would be, you know, if you think you're going to make it in this and you want to make it in this, is just keep doing what you do. Keep practicing. You know, you've got facilities now out there to train at these schools and to get in the ring and practice these things. You know, I know quite a few promotions have wrestling schools and the lads go there. So that's my main thing to say, really, is just just keep practicing and, and see what comes of it. I'll wind this down with you now, John. Uh, thank you very much yeah. once again for taking the time out to come and speak with me. I really appreciate it. I'm sure those listening are going to be absolutely taken back by not just the advice, but the stories of what you've done over the years. But talking about the future, John, what does the yeah. future hold for Johnny Kidd? Well, as I say, I, I had a full-time job. I worked for Vauxhall Motors all my life. Well, not all my life, Josh. I only had four jobs, but I spent 40 years with them. And I retired from the company three years ago, uh, September 2017. Right. I still like to, to get involved with the wrestling. Obviously, as you get older, you do feel it. And I mean, People, you know, I could get in there now. I could get in with you, Josh, and we'd do something, but I might ache like anything the next day. But um, I'm still grateful to people like Sanjay. I mean, Sanjay does ask me. I don't do everything for them because it's not possible, you know. But if Sanjay asked me and said, can you do, and I think I can, you know, and there's other promoters out there uh, that have asked me to do things, if it's possible and I can still do it, I will. But, um, you know, I don't know. I just like to look at the shows and like to think that the, the British wrestling scene is doing well here at the moment, as I say. Bearing in mind, we don't have any real national television where in the day, you know, back in my day as well, everyone knew the wrestlers because that was the shop window. The wrestlers were on television, so people knew them. Unfortunately, today, I've always thought that names on a bill don't really mean anything because nobody knows. People know of you, but you're not as well known as looking at a card from the 70s and the program and thinking four matches on there, eight wrestlers. I know every one of them. You know, and they were all names in those days. And unfortunately, without the television now, it doesn't make, you know, wrestlers out of those names. You know, um, I'd just like to think that it's still healthy over here, as I say, and I still think it's going to do well over here. Um, but nobody really builds up one guy anymore, do they? Because there's so many promotions, you know, no one guy is well known through every promotion, unfortunately. Um but there are so many good wrestlers out there. Um, I could name you a couple if you wanted me to. But, uh, I still I still see guys around here think, yeah, really good, really good. You know? Absolutely. And, so, yeah. Well, John, thank you once again for taking the time to 
come and discuss the interesting career that you've had. I, I very much appreciate it. No, no problem, Josh. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. What a chat. So I hope you all enjoyed hearing the stories from Johnny Kidd's great career in the world of professional wrestling. Thank you to Johnny Kidd once again. Next week, we'll be joined by another John from the world of British professional wrestling. However, it's exclusive. The very first podcast interview from Premier Promotions matchmaker and promoter, John Fremantle. That's going to be one not to be missed. So we'll see you this time next week for Doing the Rounds with Josh Faulkner.